0: what's up everybody welcome back to the swamp and stomp podcast i'll be your host mark barton and today we've got a really cool episode we're going to be talking with uh john lusk and he is a fellow youtuber um, and a very experienced bow hunter Um, and his youtube channel is focused on um broadhead testing Um, he does a lot of other gear testing as well but broadheads is really his his bread and butter Um, and he's got a lot of knowledge about broadhead design he's got a engineering background Um, and so we we really get into the weeds about you know how broadheads are made what uh, you know different aspects of broadheads are important um, in selection for different types of hunts Um, and it's a really good conversation so if you have any questions about um, you know picking the right broadheads for your type of hunting Uh, hopefully we'll address all that in this podcast before we dive into it i just want to uh, make a couple of quick announcements so uh, first of all let me just mention our sponsors real quick Um, wood hunting saddles uh, as well as jx3 hybrid saddles and um, skull hill archery Uh, these are three sponsors that have been sponsoring us for a real long time. They've become really good friends over the years. Um, You know, if you're looking into getting into saddle hunting at all, um, if you want a traditional style saddle, wood hunting saddles is the best bet. Um, This is a local Florida company, a family owned business. The owners are just the nicest people there are and if you're interested in getting some of their gear you can get a uh you can get a 10 percent discount using our code which is sns10 you can buy it on either their website or on our website um, which i'll mention again in just a second um, jx3 uh, hybrids if you're interested in sort of bridging that gap between a tree stand and a saddle um, you, you should really check out that uh, jx3 hybrid um, and again we have a code uh, for them, which is SNS 22. Um, and then finally you need any work done on your bow and you live in, in Florida, um, in Okeechobee, uh, go check out skull Hill archery. Brandon is the man when it comes to, um, anything bow related. Um, he can tune a bow better than anybody we've ever worked with. So we always take our stuff to him. Um, so anyway, um, moving on, uh, if you're, interested in winning some free gear uh, we are currently doing a giveaway um, for our patreon members uh, and we'll be announcing the winner at the uh, florida outdoor expo um, which i'll mention in a second because i'm going to talk about some of the upcoming events and the way that you enter that giveaway is simply by becoming a patreon member if you become a Patreon member, there's a whole bunch of uh, little perks that you get. We, we put out content specifically for the Patreons. We organize a couple of events a year, um, go hunting with uh, our Patreon members. And it, you'll actually hear from our Patreons during this podcast, because one of the things that we've started doing is that uh, most of, not all, but most of our podcasts, we live stream them uh, through youtube on a private channel just for our patreons and the patreons can actually ask questions and interact with us during the podcasts. if you're interested in uh, in doing that go check out the patreon it's patreon.com slash swamp and stomp then <clears throat> if you're interested in getting some of our gear whether it's just straight up swamp and stomp merch or if you're interested in our high pine camel line um you can check it out on our website which is SwampAndStompLLC.com. and and finally i just want to mention some of the events that we've got coming up we've got three on the docket first up is the florida outdoor expo which i mentioned earlier this is going to be on april 21st to the 23rd if you've never been to this event it's really cool there's um pretty much anything outdoors that you can think of doing in florida is represented there we've got um gun manufacturers um suppressors archery companies um, all kinds of accessories for hunting fishing there's boats there airboats. i mean there's even like comp- there's an archery tournament that uh, skull hill archery puts on that we'll be shooting in as well um, all kinds of stuff happening there so make sure you come by like i said april 21st to the 23rd and we will actually have a booth there together with wood hunting saddles and we'll be selling our high pine camo um so come check it out there's gonna be like games and all kinds of stuff that you can do to win um gear and we're actually gonna be giving away a wood hunting saddle while we are at that event as well um the next on the list is the uh second annual satyr hunter saddle hunter 3d archery tournament and saddle workshop um, this is gonna be on june 17th we haven't put all the details up online yet but if you go to our facebook group it's just going to be swamp and stomp the group on facebook Um, any events that we have coming up we'll be putting them in the events section there so that you guys will have all the details but this saddle hunter 3d archery tournament is exactly what it sounds like it is a 3d archery tournament but you shoot it from a saddle Um, if you don't have a saddle that's fine we've got a bunch that you can you can borrow so you can shoot the tournament Um, and then the workshop itself consists of like all, basically all the companies in the saddle hunting world have donated saddles and platforms and all kinds of gear. You guys can come and try out at the event. And most of that stuff, we just, we're just we going to be giving it away in raffles during that event. Finally, the last one is an event that we do together with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, and this is our scouting workshop slash kickoff party for the deer season. And this is going to be uh, July 15th. We do this one um, in Jupiter at the uh, Riverbend Park, and uh, it's a really cool event. We get a whole bunch of people to come out. We pair them up with uh, some experienced hunters in Florida. We go out into um, into a preserve there um, and basically scout and look for, for deer sign and uh, show you guys how we read that deer sign, how we know if it's fresh, what to do with it once we find it, where we would set up cameras, where we would set up tree stands, any of that stuff. So if you, if you have any questions about how to look for sign and how to set up um, in a Florida public land situation, this is the event for you. And then after that we're gonna meet up and roast up a whole hog and just hang out with other hunters and just uh, talk about you know whatever, whatever we wanna talk about. So hopefully we'll see you guys at some of these events and um, without any further ado, let's get straight into this podcast. Why don't, you, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you know uh, what you do um, and sort of what got you interested in starting this YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, so I grew up bow hunting, man. I love bow hunting. My mom and dad were both competitive shooters in, uh, in in traditional archery. And so I grew up doing that and I did it as a kid. We used to go hunting and hunting in the swamps in Louisiana. I lived in, in New Orleans, Louisiana, and we'd go chasing hogs out in the swamps there. And then um, I got really busy with school, still would hunt you know, every chance I got. Then I went into the full-time ministry and was over in Bangkok in Thailand. And there's no hunting over there because they believe in reincarnation. You might be killing your great-great-grandmother. So i like, I reincarnated as a deer. So the, like I couldn't hunt for all those years. And then we came back to the States and then I started making up for lost time. So I've just been bow hunting more and more ever since then. And then I started filming my hunts. Actually a buddy started filming one of our hog hunts and it was fun. He made a video and I'm like, yeah, hey, I kind of like that. And so I had a buddy film me shooting a hog and it got a bunch of views. And I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool. And so then I would, you know, I didn't hunt that, you know, I couldn't video that many hunts. And so then I thought, well, how could I expand the channel, you know, and do something with it? And I thought about gear testing and broadhead testing. And the way that started is I won a free broadhead, an archery talk, a bishop archery broadhead they had a giveaway and one broadhead cost like 120 bucks. So oh I'm like, oh I won. And and then I was talking to the guy about its design and which I was interested in. I, I have a, a degree in engineering, an undergraduate degree in engineering, then a graduate degree in theology. But I, I like, you know, analyzing things from an engineering perspective. And he said, hey, maybe you want to do a video test of the broadhead for your channel. And so I did. And I didn't know what I was doing, I like, I shot it through a pumpkin, you know, it was a single bevel to see the rotation. I had a frozen hog shoulder and I shot it into that, I was just like, what else can I shoot, shot it through a dinner plate or something, you know, I was just having fun with it. But then that video got a bunch of views and then I thought, hey, you know, YouTube might not be always promoting hunting, but gear testing, you know, hey, that might be a good niche. And so then my process just evolved more and more. And that was about, what? Like probably five, six years ago, cool. uh, six years ago. And then it's, you know, I've gotten more and more into it. And now I have on my channel, like. You've got um, a whole what, system like, over, Yeah, I got a whole system, a whole protocol that I put every Broadhead through and a rating system. But I have like over 300 videos on my broad, on my channel and probably 200 plus are Broadhead testing. Then some other gear testing, bow testing and stuff, and and then the rest are my own bow hunts. And I do love to bow hunt. I get to bow hunt all over the world because the channel kind of helps pay for that. So I, I love doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you touched on a couple of things I was, I was wondering about the, the first thing you said, you know, you're, you had an engineering degree and I kind of had a feeling that you had some sort of technical background just by the way that you get into broadheads. It's kind of the same way that I do. I'm a scientist. Um, I'm a, a marine biologist, but I think just having that, um, you know, that technical way of thinking and, and, and sort of questioning everything. Um, I think that's, you know, pretty typical of, uh, uh of having that technical background. Um, but i was curious so you said you were in in bangkok was that right yeah Bangkok. so how long were you over there for
1: we were there for four years in bangkok still speak thai fluently wow. really comes in handy at
0: thai restaurants <laughs> You're really good thai food.
1: I bet. but we uh we loved it over there i did do a lot of fishing Hey, not much hunting no hunting but i did do a lot of fishing caught a few sailfish that was a blast then we moved to the philippines did mission work in the philippines for another few years wow. so all in all we were in asia for about six years before coming back to the states and we loved that time but i really missed hunting yeah. at, at the same time
0: so i can actually kind of relate you know, you wouldn't think it by by looking at this face but i'm actually a quarter indonesian my mom's half Indonesian. Really? Yeah,
1: I grew... Gosh, I've been to Indonesia a bunch of times. So,
0: I, I haven't, um, which is a real shame. I, I really <laughs> want to go uh, visit, but, um, yeah, I actually grew up in Europe, and um, mm. so I kind of had that experience of not being able to hunt as well, except except I grew up there, so I really didn't know anything better than, than not being able to hunt. I mean, there there are ways that you can hunt <laughs> in Europe. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, in Holland. You can drive across the border to Germany, there's some opportunity there, but... Uh, For the most part, the idea of hunting was foreign to me. I I didn't even realize that that was like a thing people did. It wasn't until I moved (laughs) to the States and I I actually got to see the other side of the fence. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. People do this. (laughs) Right. You know, and I always wanted to get into it. And this, you know, kind of going off on a tangent here, but this is sort of how we or how... Uh, I guess, you know, me and Danny, we run our Swamp and Stomp YouTube channel together. Um, I think our our reasons initially why we wanted to start a YouTube channel might have been slightly different, but they've sort of grown together over time. And for me, it was really that I didn't have anybody to teach me, to show me, to, you know, I was always asking, oh, take me hunting, take me hunting. Nobody ever really did. Um, So eventually I just was like, I'm just gonna go into the woods and try and figure it out myself. And so that's what I did. And, and now I wanna create this resource for people to be able to, you know, learn how to approach hunting in Florida because it's so different and you've done a little bit of hunting mm-hmm. here, I think. So, um,
1: yeah.
0: yeah, but yeah, so I, I could definitely relate to the the no hunting uh, options in, in other parts of the world. So, <laughs> so I agree. It's mm-hmm. pretty sweet over here being able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you kind of mentioned you have, how you got started in the YouTube channel. Um, One of the things that, you know, I've noticed is like you put out videos so incredibly quickly. You know, we're usually doing these full productions, full episodes and stuff, and they take a long time to edit, but you've got it down to this like quick system where you, you can just bang through those uh the different steps the different tests that you do so i just kind of wanted uh, for the listeners that are not familiar with your channel i kind of wanted to talk about some of those tests and what you're doing and why you chose those tests to test broadheads can you get into that a little yeah, bit? yeah that's
1: that's a really good question so you know when it comes to broadheads i you know i like everybody i would wonder does that work like does, does you know is this a good one is it not a good one at first i didn't know i would just go to walmart pick up little allen specials you know yeah. cost six bucks for three heads or something God, i remember shooting a, a deer with one and it broke the broadhead broke off and the deer ran away i'm like oh man and so you know you go how do you know what's good and do you trust the packaging do you trust the celebrity endorsement? You know somebody's getting paid a bunch to say this is the best broadhead. Yeah. I, which I've known people who endorse broadheads and I've known the guides that guide him and they go yeah he actually hunts with a different broadhead than he endorses and that's that's quite it's quite common. Wow. Um and so you know, you can't, you can't say, trust that. I just
0: can't say their names, huh. <laughs> I <gonna> <laughs> don't names. do that.
1: And you can't <laughs> you can't trust that and and so then if you ask your buddies Whatever they shot their their last big buck with, that's the best broadhead on <laughs> the market. Or whatever they, they didn't harvest that animal with, they're like that broadhead. That's the sucks, worst one, you know? yeah. yeah. And so, you know, just empirical evidence, you know, kind of anecdotal evidence that, you know, that only goes so far. So as an engineer, I thought, okay, well, let me try to create a process to test the broadhead. And I narrowed it down to like five areas. That I thought the, these are the areas that really matter the most. One is flight, because if you don't hit what you're aiming at, man, no broadhead is gonna work. And really, even a crappy broadhead, if you get a really good shot, it's probably gonna work. And so, you know, that's super important. And then uh, the durability, like how durable is it? is it? Is it gonna break, you know, is it gonna bend? Like, it, and that, that happens a lot. So how durable, how well does it penetrate? You know, depending on your setup and how big your animal is, how much penetration are you looking for? I want to get with the best chance of getting two holes, you know, in and out that I can get. I want to pass through because that's going to produce better blood, a little more lethality. And then, uh, and then sharpness. How sharp are the blades? And not just the sharpness, but what's the edge retention? That's even more important than sharpness because a blade can feel really sharp, on, you know, out of the package. But then as soon as it hits that hide, man, that blade, if it loses its edge, the whole rest of the animal, that initial sharpness didn't matter at all, but edge retention matters. So that's another qualification. And then what's the cut size? The bigger the hole, the more lethal it's gonna be basically by and large. So those are the five areas that, that I, I rate accordingly. And I'd and have a hundred point scale that I can scale, You know, I can test each head and give it a, a corresponding score. And it's each one of those areas accounts for 20 points. And then I have different tests that I do within each of those areas, like for durability, I go, okay, let me shoot it into, MDF, a half inch of MDF, medium density fiberboard. It's really consistent. I used to use plywood, but then you hit a knot or you hit the grain in a different way. That's not consistent. And my tests, you know, any any scientist like yourself, Mark, or or engineer would tell you consistency. It's, it's a necessity. Like people go, why don't you shoot it into bones? Well, I do in my own testing, sometimes I'll do videos shooting into bone, but for these tests, bone, it's it's too irregular and it's not right. consistent. You hit it at a certain angle, the geometries vary and you know one broadhead breaks because it hit at a certain angle and the other one did because it hit it at a different angle. That's not, it has no comparative data. So So I- my tests provide comparative data with consistency ruling the day. So like for for durability, I shoot it through the MDF three times. I shoot it through 22 gauge steel plate two times. And then I shoot it into cinder block, into concrete one time. And it gets a score for each of those that adds up to 20 points max. So I have tests like that for each of those areas. That way, you know, you can you as a viewer. Anybody watching can decide, is this a head I want to hunt with? Maybe you go, I don't care if it you know, holds up to concrete or not. People tell me that all the time. Well, I don't hunt concrete. I'm like, okay. I mean, I've heard that probably 10,000 times. I don't hunt concrete either. But the fact is, I've seen broadheads do fantastic on concrete and then get mangled on the femur of a hog because the angle that it hits at. So, I mean, animals can be even more damaging to broadheads than seal plate or concrete. But you as a viewer can decide whether that's important to you or not. But I'm giving... Data points. I'm giving hard evidence yeah. on very consistent mediums. You're not really so given, you can say,
0: but you're not really giving opinions, right? So th- that's kind of the point here.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll add my opinion, but not in the rating system. The rating system is as objective and you know analytical as I can make it, so that you see real results. It's not the package. You know, this is the best brought in the world. It's not your buddy saying it worked for me. This is like. It's a real system. It's not perfect. No system's foolproof. But, you know, and I'm always evolving it. I'm always thinking what's the, the, the next best thing, but it, it's it's sure better than anything else I've seen.
0: Yeah, I, I want to get into the evolving it, but we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, you know, I wanted, I wanted to touch on what you were saying about uh, the consistency, you know, having a test that's repeatable. Um, there are some other YouTubers out there that do some broadhead testing. We don't need to name anybody, but I'm sure people will figure this out. Um, and they're saying, you know, well, every animal's different, so there's no point in having these these consistent tests. What you need to do is just, you know, test on animals, shoot them as many times as you can, and every situation's gonna be different. And then look at how much penetration you get, how much blood, how much you know, how far did it go, all that stuff. And me as a scientist, it drives me absolutely insane. Because like you were saying, you could hit bone at a slightly different angle. Um, and you know, everything else being exactly the same, it could be the same pig and the same bone, but you hit it at a different angle and you're going to get completely different results. So just because, you know, like you were saying, just cause your buddy shot this giant buck and got this amazing blood trail. Like that couldn't possibly have anything to do with where the arrow went in, right? No, it has to do with the broadhead itself. Um, and so I, I agree with what you're saying. I think a, a lot of people are always asking, well, they ask us all the time. And really, they should be asking you because you have all this experience with broadheads. But they're like, what's the best broadhead? You know, what should I be shooting? Um, and actually, uh, one of our Patreon members um, put this in the chat uh, right before we got started. You know, he's asking, which which is the best uh fixed blade broadhead for shots under 40 yards which you know with a 50 pound bow 26 inch draw um, you know that's such a hard question to answer because Mm. in my opinion and I mean you might have a different opinion but I feel like you pick a broadhead based on what's important to you you know if if your most important factor is penetration then you're probably going to want a cut on contact broadhead you're probably going to want one that doesn't have a uh, a huge um, uh, cutting surface area, right? Cause you're gonna have less surface area. So it's gonna create less drag. It's gonna slow down your arrow less. You're gonna get more penetration, but you're gonna get a smaller hole. So if, if a big hole is important to you, think about an expandable, you know, or, or a bigger broadhead, you know, and it's such a hard question to answer. What is the best broadhead? Cause the answer is what's important to you. So with that in mind, do you have a way that you pick a broadhead based on a hunt that you're doing? I would imagine you mm. use a different broadhead, depending on what you're going to be hunting. Is there like a process or a thought process that you go through when you pick a broadhead or is it just kind of like, well, I like this one during this test. So I'm going to use that one.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, Mark. I, and let me go back to something you said, you were know, in talking about this other gentleman on the YouTube channel. I believe in testing broadheads on animals too, okay? Like, I love to hunt. I shoot as many animals as I can in a year. And for me, that's anywhere 10 to 20 with the opportunities that I get. And I love to take the, t- the heads that have done well for me in my own personal testing and see how they do in animals. And it it by and large, matter of fact, I can't think of any that don't do well in my testing that also don't, that, I mean, they all do well in the field. It, it's really consistent. but. You know, it's preparing for the hunt that it's all about. So for me, and and you you reference like this question from your buddy, the Patreon member, and then your comment, your question about choosing a broadhead based on the animal. This is what I, this is what my thought process is, is I want the best chance at getting a pass-through. One, well, one, I want it to fly really well out of my setup. Two, I want the best chance at a pass-through that I can possibly get because two holes are better than one. So I want that. But I don't end there. I go, I want the biggest cut I can get while still flying well and still making two holes. Because the bigger the cut, and what I found, the wider the cut. Like you could have a a four-blade, one-inch cutting diameter broadhead. That cuts two inches of tissue. Or you can have a two-blade, two-inch broadhead. That's two inches of cut. Same two inches of cut, but that two-inch wide cut, is going to open up a much bigger hole than the smaller four-blade one-by-one cut. Even though they're both two inches, it's just because what happens is when a hole is wider, it, as the animal moves, it the muscle stretches, the hide stretches, and that hole becomes even larger. Whereas a small hole can get plugged up with with innards, you know, or or hide or something like that, and it doesn't tend to stretch as much as it moves. So. I want one that flies well i want to pass through or the best chance you can't always guarantee that best chance faster but i want the biggest cut i don't want to use a little bitty head that's going to zip right through an animal and bury eight inches in the ground i go i wasted a lot of momentum a lot of kinetic energy i could have used a bigger broadhead and had it just lay on the ground and then i have a bigger hole in the animal rather than wasting that kinetic energy on dirt and so i want as big of a cut as i can while flying well while penetrating and getting a pass-through. And then I want to make sure that it keeps its shape. That if you have a, a really nice broadhead but it gets deformed when it hits a bone or hits a rib or or something like that or hits hide, then man, that's it's gonna it's gonna impede the penetration. It's not gonna function as well if it breaks a blade. I don't want that. I want I want it to stay intact. So I want the durability and then I want really sharp, and I want it to hold its edge. So I want good edge retention. So that's what I think of. So say I'm going to hunt uh, a turkey. Well, turkey, I go, man, I don't care so much about, you know, anything can pass through. I don't even know if I need a pass through. I just want a wallop. I want the biggest cutting thing I can get because I'm not worried about penetration. I just want big and so I'll go with the biggest mechanical that I can get, and I mean just clobber that thing because their vitals are so small. But if I go after a moose, like last year, I went up to Newfoundland, Newfoundland on a moose hunt. I go, man, shots could be it could be a hundred yards, you know, a follow-up shot could be a hundred yards away, so it's got to fly really well, and that's a big animal. That that could be like you know, a thousand pounds, you're trying to penetrate through. Ooh, I got to make sure I have something that can really fly well and penetrate well, and they're tough. It's got to be really durable. So I choose my broadhead accordingly. A deer, well, I'm not that worried about pass-through. I want a bigger <laughs> cut size. So it it totally depends on my shot distance, my personal bow and air, my arrow weight, my bow setup and poundage, and the animal that I'm pursuing. But I want the biggest cut with the best flying, best penetration, it's going to give me a pass through. Hold its edge and keep its shape. That—that's what leads to my decisions about what I'm going to
0: hunt with. Okay, so so I'm going to get nitpicky. What's okay. what's the top? What's the top most important one? Is it flight? Because that was the first thing you brought up.
1: Yeah, I'd say flight trumps everything, because and, and but you know I'll also say this that.
0: But but if that's the any, case, then uh, expandable all the way, right? If flight's the most important. Well, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Most devil's important doesn't mean here.
1: the only, it, does, it doesn't mean it's the only factor. It just means it's the most important. So I think flight is the most important. But I mean, in a well tuned bow, like in my bow, literally every broadhead I shoot flies well. I mean, I think there's been one, like, there was one weird broadhead that I tested. It was like, I forget the name. some big old uh, Mohican sneak. I think that's what it was. Big old. I've never even heard fangled, of that thing. Huge. Oh, you got to look it up. It's a fun video. <laughs> That thing, man, my bow's very well-tuned, my arrows are properly spined, my form's okay, and usually every broadhead is just hitting with my field points pretty much. That's usually the way it is. And so I can, you know, you say, you know, flight. You know, then, then it would be a mechanical, but I can shoot an iron will. I can shoot a tooth of the arrow, I can shoot an exodus almost as good as I can at any mechanical. So with my setup, that doesn't necessarily preclude me from choosing a fixed plate, But I, flight is the most important, just because if you can't be confident, you're going to hit what you aim at. You know, you might have to thread it through a little bit of, of woods. You know, like a, through these branches or over this. Or I mean, you got to know. I you got to know. It's going to go here if I aim here. Yep. And so that's really important. Or if you're hunting out west, windy conditions. Man, you get up there with these swirling currents and thermals and gusty winds. Man, flight forgiveness is huge. Or you're nervous. You know, I can shoot any head like it, you know, in my backyard and it's going to fly good. But man, that buck, you know, kind of wakes me up and it's running by and I got, you know, I, you know, and you got to shoot. My heart is pounding onto my chest. That's not none of my best game in form. So forgiveness matters. And so, yeah, I'd say flight is the most important, but that's just one of five. I mean, I, I consider all five of those very, very important in my selection. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's uh, I, I can definitely uh, uh, relate to what you're saying about if you have a well-tuned bow, it'll shoot everything well. Because I'll, I'll make this argument to people all the time. Me and Danny, we both get our bows tuned uh you know we not only do we take them to our our bow shop and and i'll just throw a little plug in there because they're just the best skull hill archery in okeechobee just brandon's like honestly one of the best and he he will give your bow back to you tuned almost to perfection and then we'll take it even one step further and do the walk back tune and all that stuff and you know we get them flying real good and you can put any broadhead on our arrows and they will fly the same as field points, and people are like, "That's impossible!" Yeah, like, there's no way that that you're doing it. I'm like, "No, your bow is just not tuned properly." So, so I, I definitely understand where you're coming from with that. But that the flight forgiveness—that's a really good point that you're making there. Because, um, yeah, like you said, if you know, if you're nice and calm, and your form is great, um, that <laughs> broadhead on the front of your arrow, which is basically like having fletchings on the front and the back of your arrow you know it's not going to matter that much but when you screw up on your shot you know and your hand kind of wobbles or you torque the bow a little bit and that makes that arrow come out slightly uh cocked one way or the other then having those fletchings on the front of your arrow is really going to start making a difference so um i mean that's a really good point i hadn't even really uh thought about that usually you know white tailed deer especially here in florida we're shooting really short ranges so it probably doesn't matter um Hmm. I I just had a thought, it's gone, I lost it.
1: Well, I'll share a, a something on that note, and maybe you'll think of it. But yeah, I shot a, a bison about a year and a half ago, and you can see that hunt on my channel. But I I put three arrows in it because I figure my philosophy with shooting the first shot was lethal, second shot was definitely lethal, and it was like it was wobbling. It it was it was an amazing scene. It's all I was I captured it all on my GoPro on my bow, and and then I thought. I'm just going to keep shooting it because that's what I believe, like especially a big, tough animal, as long as I can, I'm just going to keep putting arrows in it. Why not? And so the third shot, though, I'm doing it pretty fast. I'm pretty excited. i haven't put two arrows through this 1800 pound beast, you know, right in front of me. It was crazy with that third arrow. I mean i wish i didn't have it on the gopro because it like kicks to the left it was embarrassing it's like whoa what happened to that one i mean it it passed right through it was like perfect shot the point of impact but it wasn't a perfect flight of the arrow and that just shows you you're in a weird position you're kind of crouching you're excited that's where flight forgiveness really matters and i think that does put a it puts a lot of stock in the in the expandable category because man if your bow isn't well tuned or you're not on your best form or you're a little bit nervous or it's really windy man that's where there's a big separation in the field under those conditions with expandables
0: yeah um no i I definitely agree um you know i think when i started i I definitely started with expandables I, i didn't know any better my thought process was simple it was the bigger, you know, the bigger the cutting surface area, the bigger the hole, the more blood, the faster it's going to die, and that's really as far as I I thought it through. And I think the first broadhead that I got was um, the uh, the NAP Spitfire, one and oh, yeah. one and three quarter inch. And you know, I yeah. I did shoot one deer with it. Um, and th- this is like just something that I do. I I'm, I feel like you could probably relate to this i'll buy a broadhead i'm like this is the this is the broadhead this is the one i want to use this year i'm so excited about it and then i'll shoot one deer with it and then i'm like all right i'm ready to try something else now Uh, because i think so much about broadhead design there's always something that's missing that i feel like they should have done better Um, but i will say for that broadhead those things are still razor sharp and i bought those things like eight years ago and you know even just sitting in your uh, in your your broadhead box you you know just uh humidity in the air will start to degrade that that edge a little bit mm-hmm. and still to this day they are mm-hmm. razor sharp so i'll give them i'll give them kudos mm-hmm. for that um but last year i i got started in the single bevel um for the first time and actually this was before i really knew about your channel i came across your channel uh randomly one of the videos you were testing a uh strickland helix although they just yeah. switched over to america's best bowstring or something like that
1: yeah yeah they bought them
0: yeah um, you were doing the 125 grain i think but i i, I looked into it because i was like oh that's a pretty cool broadhead design and it was like the only broadhead Uh, fixed blade broadhead that actually looked like it was like had a a thick enough blade that you could get in a 100 grain and i was shooting 100 grain um points at the time and i didn't want to switch up my whole arrow setup and stuff so i was like well you know what let me give these a shot and i mean i i still haven't decided if i love them or if i hate them um and and i'll (laughs) tell you why i shot two bucks with them last year the first one um was just a you know pretty small buck it wasn't anything special but um i just needed to fill the freezer and i was like all right i'm taking this shot he was quartered away so hard that the shot went in like when i shot he like stepped even further as i shot and basically the arrow went in right in front of the ham and came out on the opposite side of the sternum So it literally passed through like the entire body. Wow. So I was, I was pretty impressed by that. I was like, wow. In fact, it would have blown through except that the fletchings, you know, like where the ribs sort of meet the sternum and there's kind of like that angle. It's like a wedge. They went right through there and the fletchings just like wedged themselves in and that, and that was it. Like Mm -hmm. it wouldn't go any further, which was actually kind of a problem because it plugged the hole. Um, and so I was freaking out. I was like, I'm not finding much blood. Cause obviously the other hole is high on the body way back in the guts, you know? So there just wasn't a lot of blood coming out. Um, but we ended up finding it and realizing, you know, what had happened. So he, it didn't go more than 70 yards or something like that. So that was my first experience. Not great. I mean, the penetration was incredible, but the, the blood trail especially here in florida where we're hunting you know you can see what's behind me in this this picture that's what we're hunting over <laughs> we're hunting over water yeah. so you know having a good blood trail sometimes is really important because um uh, you want it to hit all the leaves on the way down because if it doesn't if it hits the water you're never going to see blood um mm. so so anyway that was the first experience not eh, i wasn't sold but then i went and shot another buck and this second buck uh, seven yard shot, smoked it, went r- zipped right through. It didn't even know it was hit. Like, it, it just jumped, walked 10 yards, and was like, what the heck was that? And then it just walked away slowly. And I was like, oh crap, this isn't good. You know, I'm, you can, if you watch the video, you can see me, like, you can hear me freaking out trying to get another arrow in. And it's like at 80 yards now. I'm trying to get ready to send another arrow. And then it just laid down you know just it was like mm. i'm tired i'm gonna lay down here and then it, <laughs> and then it just died right there so like on the mm. one hand i'm like well it's kind of nice when they don't know they're hit and they die mm. within sight but then on the other hand i didn't find any blood for either one of these so i'm still not yeah not 100 percent on these these single bevels yet but i'm shooting a different single bevel this year another one that you've tested oh okay yeah the uh yeah
1: yeah you know with with me with those i've taken a ton of animals with two blade single bevel as well as double bevel but and and there are times man i remember the first year i shot with a tiny little one inch two blade single bevel i mean blood everywhere because it was just coming out of its nose it was just like i mean it was mouth i mean it was just double lung and everywhere um, but then there's other times that I've shot what I thought were really good shots, and just like you're describing, no blood at all. With, the problem is with such a small hole. There's it's it's not difficult for for tissue to plug up those holes, and so. I prefer a bigger, if if like if I'm going for a Cape Buffalo, it's, it's over here in my left shoulder, a Cape Buffalo, well then, man, I'm going to go with a, a small, single bevel, really heavy broadhead, and I did, because penetration is everything, but a deer, man, I, I want a bigger cut, just because I want to try to clip that extra artery, and I want to make a hole that's going to be re, a wound channel and a hole, an exit and entrance hole that guts are not going to be able to plug up. And so that, I have just, I, it doesn't mean you can't do it with a small two blade broadhead, you certainly can. And a good shot in the boiler room, you know, it's gonna work well, but I just go, why not stack the odds more in your favor and create a lot of blood too. I have a whole video on called um, blood, broadheads and blood trails, understanding the connection. That's one of my favorite videos. Really, I wanna encourage your viewers to, to, to check that out. It's like 30 minutes, but it just goes through all the different factors that affect blood trails, and most people don't understand a lot of those factors. So it's worth it's worth a, a shot looking at it.
0: Yeah, um, it, you you actually just made me remember the thought that I, I forgot about earlier. Okay, good. So you mentioned um, you were talking about how if you have a like a two blade broadhead that has you know whatever a two inch um, cutting diameter, you can have that same two inches of cut. In a four blade but you're gonna have a much smaller hole from the four blade right because you've got one inch and one inch so that i find that an interesting thought process because my thought process has always been that if i can get more than one axis of cut so you know a two blade being a single axis right we've got a straight line and now whether you make it a three blade or a four blade um because you got that extra axis you're now actually opening up the hole more or at least that's the way my my brain thinks about it you're making instead of a slit you're making a hole um and so i've always wanted to i've had this test in my mind for the longest time i wanted to do it but maybe you should do it because you know this this is like your bread and butter but i want to i want to okay i'm going to describe it to you and see what you think so you take, okay. you take a, uh, a volumetric cylinder, right? And you fill the bottom of it with um, ballistics gel, right? So that it's, it's sealed up. You cut the bottom of it off. You fill up the bottom with ballistics gel. And now you fill it with a fluid that, you know, represents blood. Let's, you know, I think people use like um, like vegetable oil or something. It's supposed to be like a similar consistency as blood or whatever. And now you stab a broadhead through it. And then time how quickly that blood that blood drains out of it. My theory is that if you use a three blade or a four blade with the same cutting diameter as a two blade, it will drain out faster because you're opening that hole in two dimensions instead of just one. What are what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so so I think that's a cool task that you that you're suggesting there. And and I will say along with that, and I'll come back to an answer, like the thickness of blades makes a difference in that as well, as well as the thickness of the ferrule and how the ferrule is designed. There's some broadheads, and I try to show it when I shoot through a steel plate, because that gives a static view of the wound channel, that you'll have two three-blade heads with the same cutting diameter, and yet because their design is different, one will make a tr- more triangular hole and the other will make like a little round hole with three slits coming off of it. Right. And I, I, I've seen those in the field and they do the same thing in an animal. Like, like, a, like an Exodus makes, I mean, it makes triangular holes. One of my buddies calls it a triangular hole of death or something like that. And I mean, I've got Impala and, and uh, Kudu that just have this hole, this triangular hole. Whereas the same cutting diameter and another broadhead may not do that. So what you're saying, it really does. It is definitely a factor. But when you add in the dynamics of an animal's movement and unlike, you know, the static view of a hole punched in in something like gel, man, then that stretching makes a really big difference. And a smaller even a hole is really eager to eager to plug. You can just take like an acorn and plug it up or you know a, a, a piece of guts you know and plug it up but a wider hole that's the muscle is stretching it tends to tear even more and 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 the hide tends to stretch i mean i have shots with a 2 inch broadhead that'll be like a 6 inch hole and you're like what the heck how did that happen and it's not just because i hit it at an angle sometimes it's that but it's because of the movement it just tears more and that's not going to get plugged up and so I mean, I, I know any of them can work, but I like to think of it this way too, reduce it to the ridiculous. If I take, say I take, a, am not gonna get the numbers right because I'm not calculating, I'm just talking about my head. Say I take a one inch cut in diameter, six blade head or say 12 blade head, okay, six inches of cut. If I, would I rather have that stick through me or a six inch wide razor? slice through me. Well, a six-inch wide razor is gonna about cut me in half. So I would opt for the, the six inches in a really small spot and just kind of hope that I can plug it up, okay, and right. get to the doctor. Well, you cut me in <laughs> half, I'm done, like it's it's over. And so they, now there's a happy balance in there and a happy medium and, you know, this is saying everything else equal, penetration and so forth, but, and durability. But I, I tend to prefer Again, if I'm gonna get enough penetration, I want the widest cut possible. Now I, you know, you said two blade. Like I prefer two blades with a little bleeder. Like, you know, most mechanicals that are two blade, they have a cross blade. Whereas if you take a pure two blade, like single bevel or double bevel, then that slit is not the same as if you just have a little bit of even a, a third of an inch cross cut, it just opens it up. It's more like a football hole, yeah. like an oval that it is just a slit and that that really does make a difference like that helix you know i just tested the fj4 yep i saw which that. is the same one yeah but with with, with bleeders bleeder. i like having a little bit of a bleeder
0: which brings me into another question because i saw that and i don't know this it just might be me but this might your engineering mind might have a, a different outlook on this single bevel blades does it really work when you add in another dimension you know like i feel like a single bevel it's it really works when it's two blades because it goes in it cracks the bone by having that rotation and once it cracks that bone that those two blades slip right through there relatively easily and when you add in you know those two bleeders you're just creating a wedge you crack the bone the two blades slip right through and then those other blades come in and just just you know get stuck right in there is that just my thought process or, I mean, am I onto something there? I feel like it doesn't really work the way it's supposed to when you have more blades. Yeah.
1: If you're talking about just breaching heavy bone, then I would say a two blade without bleeders is gonna do a better job. And my opinion is a single bevel is gonna do a better job than a double, at least in all the tests. I know there's people that disagree with me, but I've tested the same broadhead, same company, same diameter, One's double one single bell will shoot them into bone, and one makes a hole, and one makes a slit. And that rotation, it does it does something. It does open up a channel for the rest of the arrow to go through. So I'm with you there. But if you're not talking about breaching every bone, you're talking about just cutting through tissue, and you're talking about slicing arteries and stuff. Well, and opening up a bigger hole for bloodlet, bigger hole for bloodletting then having those bleeders makes a difference. And so everything in broadhead design is a trade-off. Like one might be better if you go, my goal is to breach heavy bone. Like if I'm shooting a Cape Buffalo and the ribs can kind of overlap and they're really heavy and they're really thick, you go, my number one priority is breaching that bone. I'm going no bleeders for that. But if I go white tail, there's no bone that's gonna stop it except, you know, if I hit it right in a joint and no matter what I use, I'm probably not going through that joint. And so I'm not that worried about it with a whitetail and pretty much anything's going to get through. Then I want more bloodletting. I want bigger hole. I want more tissue being cut. So I base it kind of on the animal. And that, like you said, in that initial question that you asked, how do you choose a broadhead based on the animal? I want it to fly well. I want it to have a best chance at a pass through and the biggest cut possible while it passes through
0: okay so so expanding on that question just a little bit the new strickland f is is fj4 is that what they're calling it yeah
1: fj4 Uh so the
0: strickland fj4 and a magnus stinger four blade basically the same broadhead except one is single bevel right approximately Uh let's say they're they're equal weights equal uh blade thickness is everything's equal except except for the fact that single bevel versus double bevel do you think with that those two extra blades on there do you think the single bevel is still going to penetrate bone better than the the double bevel
1: that's a really good question and i don't i don't know the answer to that i think there's too many other variables to To make that to draw that conclusion, and it wouldn't be debated anymore if it were that definitive. Yeah. Though I will say, okay, this is really interesting because, you know, I you know Ashby, and I love Ashby and all of his tests. You know, the Ashby reports, all the stuff that he's done. But he talks about uh, the rotation of a single bevel being. He likens it to a fork wrapping spaghetti around it, and a lot of people get the concept that. If you shoot a single bevel, it is like zipping through like a like a drill, and it's you know wrapping guts around it and stuff like that. The fact is, it doesn't rotate even remotely that much. Like the best of the best through a whitetail, you're going to get like maybe ninety degrees rotation, yeah. maybe. And that's, I mean, you know, if you're going like you know fifteen inches and in animal tissue, they rotate better than gel. So you're talking about the broadhead rotating this much. That, yeah, You can see man, like that much. I mean, that's it. And so there's no wrapping around the guts. Like there's no, it's it's not like this. It's just, it's that. And so it's nowhere near as big of an issue. Well, then I, I've heard people say, and I used to say this too, well, because of the rotation, it's actually cutting a lot more tissue because it's rotating. So my brother is a physics professor out, out at a, a pretty prominent university. And I asked him if he could create a formula to see what is the total angular, like the distance sure it's between a, a, a rotating head. And I mean, it is like with a single bevel, if it rotates 90 degrees, like the best single bevels I've tested, you're getting like 0.03% more tissue being cut than a double bevel. And so you're like, like when I saw that, I'm like, is that true? Like it was, it it. was shocking. And so a lot of the hype of single bevels is way inaccurate, way overhyped. But I like it too. And I've shot I've shot animals with a single bevel that the entrance hole is indeed a hole. It's like yep. because there's so much rotation from the veins, from the fletching and minor helical, that it's already rotating and then it hits and that and that rotation doesn't stop when it penetrates it continues a little bit man it rips the hide and that hole is like that and that's going to have better blood you know than one that's just a slit so you know i think there are advantages but i think it's not as like night day as people like to think
0: yeah yeah I, i definitely agree with that i you know i i think that the single bevel makes a lot of sense just because it's, it's going to help you get through bone if you accidentally don't put the shot where you meant to put it and you impact some bone. It's not going to hurt to have that single bevel, to have that rotation that's going to crack some bone and allow the arrow to slip through. So that's why I, I like the single bevel, but uh, I definitely don't buy, you know, like what you're saying, that because it has a corkscrew, it's, it's got higher surface area, all that stuff. That That's just that's just marketing as far as i'm concerned. but my this is completely opinion based. the question that i asked you, would the fj4 penetrate bone better than the magnus stinger? i think and this is just purely off of like the my thought on how physics works. i think yes. i think it's still going to help because if you think about it, you you basically have a two blade broadhead so it's like this and then those bleeder blades are not till further back on that blade yeah they're so that. basically that the the main blade is going to impact bone it's going to start that rotation and it's going to split the bone and by the time those smaller blades actually hit that bone that bone's already split and there you know those blades are pretty small so i think it's going to be a lot easier for them to slip through there after the bigger blade has already done the work of splitting the bone that's just my opinion uh-huh. i don't have any data to back that up you might actually have data to back that up because you've you know you've tested that fj4 and you've tested a bunch of other um probably you've probably no, done i the would Magnus tend Stigger. to agree with you
1: but i think you know let me pull it out i think what you know what would make it even better my opinion and it's not just an opinion but it is kind of an opinion um so here's a new one okay it's fj4 is if they took this and like did away with the tip and just went kept this angle straight up to the end, and then the broadhead would have the same cutting diameter and be three quarters of an inch shorter, way less surface area. That would accomplish a, a few things. One, there's less surface area, so it's gonna be even more forgiving in flight. Two, there's less uh, friction as it penetrates And so the same way there's friction from the air that can veer it off course, the more surface area, the the more it dampens and hinders penetration. But then three with the rotation splitting bone. Okay, and the reason I say, well, let me say that with the rotation splitting bone, because it's so narrow that it rotates, but there's not as much torque generated because it's so narrow. So you're utilizing all that rotation, but you're not getting much torque for it. Whereas if it it just ended right there, like right here, if these blades just went to a tip, then it flares out so fast, man, when it rotates, it's generating a lot of torque and it's gonna split that bone even more effectively. So Bishop made a head just like this without the bleeders. They called it their sign or their what did they call it? Dicing drill. Their dicing drill it was the first one that I brought I won and tested, and then they realized, wait a minute, if we just cut this tip off, it'll be better. And they did, and it like it made it all the better at breaching bone, at penetrating, at flying, at everything. So, so but it looks cooler like that. So that. well,
0: yeah, it looks cooler, but I don't think that's really the point of it because, and and you bring up a really important point with the single bevel thing. I think the steeper the angle of a broadhead the more torque it's going to generate on impact like you were saying but when you have that pointier uh that that less steep angle um you're gonna have what ashby refers to as uh what does he call it it's uh oh don't get me started on that um
1: Mechanical advantage? Yes, mechanical
0: advantage. So it's going to improve the ability for it to cut initially through that skin, probably the hide. You know, the hide's going to be a little bit harder to cut through. So it'll, I think it will, I I see your face. Your face is like, no, I don't (laughs) agree with this. I'm trying to keep it in. I don't agree with this. I'm going to be respectful. No, 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 it's fine. I mean, that's (laughs) the point of this. Like, we're having a discussion, you know, but I think that, uh, I think the mechanical advantage is a real thing. I think it helps to cut, but I don't think that it's going to help with that rotation. So again, w- like I think that mechanical advantage is probably more important on a double bevel broadhead because then you're not really worried about rotation. But if you have that single bevel, then really the advantage of having a single bevel in my opinion is having that rotation and that ability to to torque and break bone apart so that you can slip that broadhead right through there. So but go okay. go ahead. Give me give me your, yeah, I, your I, side understand of it. The, I understand
1: the I understand theory. So mechanical advantage, what that is, is he's talking about like a three to one advance. I wish I had like a little wedge. Here we go. Like um this this turkey broadhead. Oh okay. God. So so if you look at this, this is probably a three to one thing, like this wedge. So it says like if you're trying to split wood, then having like a wedge that you're pounding sledgehammer it, you know, using a sledgehammer to pound it to. A three-to-one thing is gonna—it's what physics call the mechanical advantage. That's the best ability to penetrate and then split, because you're creating a lift. If you're designing a wheelchair ramp and you want people to be able to get up, they got they gotta reach a certain height, but at a pace they can do it. Mechanical advantage, three to one—that's the way to do it. The problem with the broadhead is you're not creating a wedge; you're cutting. And so it has no bearing on cutting. This is not lifting tissue at a three to one ratio. This is cutting through that tissue. And so the only way mechanical advantage has any bearing in a broadhead design is the thickness of the blade and the bevel, that if you wanna get specific, because you're separating the tissue, you're causing a separation And if you do that at a three to one angle, as it penetrates, well, then you go, okay, that's going to be your maximum cut, but you're, you're only cutting, you're not pressing, you're not creating a separation with this three to one, you're cutting through it. So personally, I, and a lot of other people like me think it's misapplying the principle. I
0: see your point. I definitely do. Um, and, and Todd, I see your question. I'm going to, I'm going to ask it in just a second. Um, for those of you wondering what I'm talking about, our patreons are uh, in a live feed right now. They can ask questions. We've got one coming in right now. Bye. I want to. I want to uh, just talk about this for a second longer. Uh, so, I, I get your point. I'll counter that point because if you have a pointy, a pointier tip, this is such a terrible description of a tip, but uh, you have uh, a better mechanical advantage. Um, if you put pressure behind that you have a smaller surface area the surface area is increasing at a slower rate as that tip is going through and so it's going to require less pressure or less energy to push that tip through initially so i yes i I agree with that i think that you're gonna i still think that it's going to help to cut but it's not necessarily gonna make your broadhead perform better because again, like I was saying, I think with a single bevel, the real like feature that makes it awesome is that rotational aspect.
1: Okay, so here's the thing. At slow speed, you're 100% right. That that if you push, if you take a a three to one, you know, the length is three, the, the diameter is one, you know, like a pointy, long pointy broadhead you push it into something, you go, how much pounds of force does it take to push this broad end into something? It's way less than a shorter flared out broad head. But there's a difference between what happens at that speed and what happens at 300 feet per second. Totally different dynamics at work. It's like the difference between jumping into a swimming pool from the bank, like from the edge, or you get up 300 feet and jump into it. Water is water. But man, hitting that that water tension at that speed, that that can kill you, right? It's like concrete. And so it's a totally different force at higher speeds. And so with broadheads, people think it's all about the cut. It's a lot less about the cut and more about the impact than people realize. I can take a broadhead, like any of these broadheads, I've done it multiple times, and dull it with a file. I mean, dull it to her it is like butter knife dull. And then I do my penetration tests, and they're almost identical to a razor-sharp one. Really? Like, I mean, a slight difference, maybe half an inch of penetration difference in cardboard or in gel or MDF or something like that. It's a lot more about the momentum. It's why, you know, you look at bullets that... You go, how does this round bullet go into something? Because it's hitting really hard. It's going really fast. Yeah. And so, you know, they don't make razor sharp bullets. You know, they, they, they could. They don't I mean no nozzle, you know, they'll make your know, make, you know, pointy ones. But but that's more for flight than it is for penetration. And so I, I'm not discounting that. But what happens at high speed is you're you're at low speed, you're just pushing it through. At high speed, ooh, now friction is a huge issue. So at least in the mediums that I test in, which are not bloody liquidy mediums, I I admit that of course, like gel, MDF, cardboard, even the longer they are, the less they're going to penetrate. Period. Yep. You look at any of any of my tests. You go, you take out your long three right. to one ratio. I'll take a little short study with the same the same cutting diameter. Night and day penetration because that that extra surface area, it's like three times the surface area, cutting the same amount of tissue, and it really slows it down. It does the same thing in flight, that the longer it is, the more air is hitting it, and the more chance there is it's gonna veer off course. So now with trad archery, which is how this got started, at those slower speeds, with a really heavy, really slow arrow, then they're still getting the advantage with a three to one ratio. Compound speeds, crossbow speeds, it's you're you're creating more problem than you're you're solving with it.
0: So that's a perfect segue into Todd's question here. So this is one of our Patreons and he, he just asked the question, how does the selection of your broadhead change if you're using a crossbow versus a compound bow or does it not matter?
1: Well, that's a really good question. You know, the thing about crossbows is what's cool about them is you're you're generating so much speed right but in generating so much speed you're not, and and with a bolt you're not able to really play around with the spine you're not able to tune as well so it's kind of like you get what you get and so with a with an arrow you can play with those dynamics a lot more and you can fine tune it more so in some ways a vertical bow can be more accurate than a compound bow believe it or not but all that being said at the speed that you're generating with a compound bow air friction and planing is huge in the game especially because you're not foc doesn't enter into it as much you know the arrow length doesn't enter into as much so you want the most streamlined like less surface the less surface area the better for a compound bow and since you're generating so much speed if it were me I'm using a really good high quality mechanical broadhead for most anything, like the toughest mechanical broadhead I could get because I'm I'm generating enough momentum to drive it deeply into just about anything. And I want uh and I so I can use a, a really big cut and I want it to fly extremely well because of that high speed. So I would use like a really low surface area, like a like a tooth of the arrow or something like that, a really tight, concentric, you know, small fixed blade, or a really streamlined mechanical. And not all mechanicals are the same. Like you can look at a mechanical, I don't have any sitting around here. You can look at some mechanicals that they have as much exposed blade as some fixed blades. Because they're just, you know, they, they just have a lot of exposed blades. Then there's other mechanicals that have almost no exposed blades. Those are going to be more forgiving. The less surface area, the more forgiving. So for a compound, I would go for very low surface area. So it's going to fly better and probably use a really good quality mechanical because you're going to get a big hole.
0: That's a great answer. Hopefully that answers his question. Um, And all of this talk about this mechanical advantage has me thinking about a video that I recently saw, which actually got me really excited. And I'm pretty sold on this broadhead. The Broadhead that scored the highest of all Broadheads that you've ever tested, um, yeah. the Trifecta, man, that is such a cool Broadhead. I, I, like, I watched that video and I was like, yep, sold. I'm buying one of those. Here's the problem, they still only have them in 100 grain, and for the first time ever, I just bought a brand new bow uh, like a couple weeks ago, and I was like, I'm going 125 grain because I wanted to experiment more with uh, single bevel broadheads, and there just isn't a whole lot of options in the 100 grain range, so I was like, I'm going 125. So this year I'm shooting the uh, what is it the cleaver uh, who makes that thing
1: oh yeah i like the cleaver yeah yeah by crimson Talon. Yeah, the
0: crimson talon so i i got a couple of those i'm gonna be shooting those this season um, but i'm really interested in that that trifecta blade and the first thing i thought of when i looked at it i went god that is the ugliest broadhead i've ever seen and <laughs> and the reason i thought that is because the it doesn't have that pointy that three to one ratio Um, and so it doesn't have that mechanical advantage and then when i watched the video and i saw how well it performed I was like i started thinking to myself i was like well maybe maybe his test is missing something here because mechanical advantage has to matter but now we've kind of gotten into it and so i mean it actually kind of makes sense to me now that like what you were saying that mechanical advantage is being applied incorrectly to this concept um and that that maybe having less mechanical advantage is actually better, it's gonna have less surface area and more penetration. So, yeah, there wasn't really a question in there, just like a thought process that I went through. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I found at compound speeds, the less surface area, everything else equal, the less surface area, the better the flight and the better the penetration. The two are very related. Now, I will say, that in I, and I, I cannot think of a, a way to create a, a, a medium for penetration that imitates tissue in the sense that it's lubricated. Gel is is it's good, but it's terrible. Like it's sticky. It's gummy, Everything yeah. stick this arrow shaft sticks to it. And you know, cardboard, I use cardboard layers, that's good, but it's it's static too. Tissue tends to pull away from the broadhead. So I can only comment on what I can recreate, and i can't I can't simulate that entirely, but in every medium I've tested, it is proven that way man that m d three or not the m d that m d three is really good too, which is funny it's it means mechanically disadvantaged three blade that's why they called it that It's kind of like a pun on m d because it's real short and stubby, and they know they're engineers they know this is going to penetrate better it's funny but wow. but anyway, that's made by a different company, but the trifecta. That 100 grain is amazing. They're making a 125 where it's the same broadhead, but it's it's solid. And so that's gonna be coming out sometime this summer. And then I already have the 150 grain, <laughs> this thing. I mean, it makes me tingle. This this thing is a, a one and a half inch cut solid blade. And it's the same design, only you go, oh my gosh. I went out hog hunting. I didn't, I didn't even see hog last night in some public land near me and I had one of those loaded and I was just so ready to shoot it. But I will say this about the 100 grain. For me, like at at most hunting distances, I'm interchangeable 100, 125, 150. I had all three in my quiver last night. I had 100 grains, I had 125 grains, had 150 grains and out to 50 yards, in in a hunting situation, I'll use all three completely interchangeably. What so kind of it's it's less of a difference than than I, I think most people realize. What
0: kind of speeds are you getting out of your bow, though? Like with a hundred grain, what are you getting? Like
1: two seventy. Oh, really? Eight That's... around there. Okay. Like once I get past forty yards, I'll notice. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll I'll see the trajectory is a little different. Though it's out to forty, it's within my margin of error. And so then beyond 40, a little bit. Now, 60, I notice a difference. Yeah. But, you know, e- even even if I push to 50, okay, you're talking, you know, a little bit of a difference there. But I, you know, I had the 100 grain, Last night, too, in my quiver, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll shoot my. I switched out arrows at one point. I'm gonna try this, and then I put in their mechanical. I do the you same know, thing, trifecta mechanical. I thought well, well, that'd be good in the video if I shot a hog with it, so I put that in there. That's part of my problem, man. I get so nerd now, and I'm changing broadheads in the middle of a hunt. Oh, I d- but I love having a
0: lot of different stuff in my quiver. I, I do the same thing. I always have a couple fixed blades and i have a couple uh expandables, and just kind of depending on what I'm feeling, mm. you know, that day, like if it's a really windy day. Um, or if I feel like I need to make a longer shot, uh, or there's going to be a a possibility that I need to make a longer shot, I'll put in a, uh, a mechanical. And then if, if if I'm up close and I'm like, this is going to be a chip shot, 20 yards, 30 yards tops, then I might put in a fixed blade, you know, um, or just whatever I'm feeling at the time. Like, uh, that big buck I was telling you about that I shot with the, um, the Strickland Helix, um, I shot that and then, uh. Later that day, I just needed to kill some time because I was staying at a buddy's place and he had to go on a date with his wife. And I was like, Well, I got to get out of the house. I was kind of done hunting, but I was like, Well, I can still shoot a doe today, so I guess I'll go back out there. And I just climbed back up the same tree, like, whatever. I'm just here to take, um, you know, to take my. Uh, um, to, to use up the time and and i ended up you know putting in uh this this broadhead right here actually i think this is the exact one that oh that yeah there you go uh-huh. this is the uh um, grim reaper fatal steel, uh, fatal steel the little guy you know i i like these these expandables that are pretty little um uh-huh. but anyway i ended up uh, sitting in that tree for about 15 minutes and the shot of dough with that one so it's like two two different deer same same day two completely different broadheads uh two completely different blood trails too so and and that goes back to what we were talking about like if your bow is tuned right you can shoot a bunch of different broadheads and they should all fly about the same yeah
1: i i did the same thing you do mark and i i think it's a great strategy if you're going to be shooting at different ranges to have mechanicals and fix when i went to newfoundland I had, um, like I thought, okay, if a, if a moose is coming in and I need a frontal shot, then I have this iron wheel single bevel um, with bleeders. And I thought, you know, I could punch it in the sweet spot and, and take a frontal shot with that. But then I thought, okay, if it's a really long shot or really windy follow-up or something, then I have these sever 1.5s that I'm going to use. So I had both. Well, in came this moose and it's coming toward me, but then it turned broadside. I had the iron will and I drilled it. I mean, it was a, it was a great shot, right? I mean, it went right through, but it's a pretty small hole. Well, then it ran off to 70 yards and it stood there. And yeah, well, then I pulled up the sever 1.5 Boom! that actually opened up way more blood than the iron will had done. You know, you can't blood does you know, it's Sometimes it's, it's hit or miss, but, but anyway, got the, the, the moose, but it was, it worked just as i had planned in the sense that okay i I can go with this broadhead in this condition and go with that broadhead in that condition and for those long follow-up shots or windy man it's hard to beat a good mechanical
0: yeah you actually just reminded me I, i shot a pig uh last year kind of the same thing i i shot it i ended up so i i had a uh a fixed blade in couldn't tell you which fixed blade right now um I want to say it was a Magnus Stinger. I shot it, drilled it right in the spine, and it drops. And of course, like they always do, instead of just flopping around right there in the open, it crawled into the thickest stuff you could ever imagine. And I couldn't, you know, couldn't see anything, but I knew it was right there. And at first, I pulled out a um, an expandable because I was like, I want to open up a hole because it was, it was weird. It, it like was laying on the wound so the blood was kind of pooling up on the inside and it just it was it was taking longer to die than i would like you know and it i just always feel awful in those situations um because because it did hit the spine but it kind of like i mean i didn't know it at the time but it it kind of hit it glanced the spine and it still got the top of the lung um so, I mean it eventually would have died, but you know, you want to put another arrow in it as fast as you can and and finish it as quick as you can. So, so I pull out the mechanical and I'm like, let's put a giant hole in this thing. But then it curls into this thick stuff and I was like, oh no, the mechanical's probably going to, you know, hit a twig or something and deflect. Uh, so, yeah. I put it back in my quiver and I grabbed another uh fixed blade and slipped it through there and i mean i don't know if i actually hit any twigs on the way in but it's possible i did but i feel like having the option in that moment was great because i was able to you know just kind of cut through everything and get get another arrow in there and got the job done so um good job i'm uh just looking over my notes here to see if there's like any other questions that i wanted to touch on um i don't know if there's any other stuff that you had you know there's, there's always like these questions in here like fixed blade or mechanic or or expandable you know like i think we kind of covered that because it's like whatever is most important yeah, it's at the time
1: everything's a trade-off yeah. i mean that, that's what it, i keep saying that but everything's a trade. it's funny with my scoring you know on my on my channel a lot of them get scores in the 80s and people go and eh, they're all scores in the 80s you know you need more separation but i i can't i mean i have to stay true to the it's, there's a reason it is what it is, but they get to 80 in different ways. And like one can get to 80 because it flies so well as a mechanical. That fixed blade can get to 80 because it penetrated so well. Yeah. And so that's where you got to figure out what are you looking for? What 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 are you needing for your hunt? And I just want to encourage your viewers, just check it out, Lost Archery Adventures and go through a bunch of different broadhead test videos and you'll learn a lot while you're doing it, and it will help you make an informed decision before you buy a broadhead.
0: Yeah, and and I think you know another thing that we're always telling people, and I've had conversations with um with the bow shop owner I, I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, people ask a lot about different arrow setups as well. You know, not just broadheads. Uh, the biggest thing that I'm always telling people is you need to pick something that you are confident with. Because if you're not confident that the arrow that you're shooting and the broadhead that you have on that arrow are gonna do what you need it to do, they won't. They just you know you're you're not gonna you're probably not gonna perform as well as you would like. So um, you know and, and that comes back to that whole Ashby concept of like put as much weight as possible within reason, you know and. Your reason might be different than my reason. You know, you might be okay with it, you know, having an arc like this, and I want it pretty flat, you know, so I'm gonna want a lighter arrow setup um, to achieve that. Whatever makes you confident, whatever broadhead design makes you confident, that's the right arrow to shoot. That's my opinion on that.
1: Yeah, and if you can base that confidence, not on a gut feeling, but on data, then you're going to be even more confident in it like if you go hey this broadhead can hold up to steel plate and cinder block and it flies like a dart then it's not just going i'm I'm confident my broadhead it's like i have a reason to be confident in my broadhead. that's like double confidence and so that's what i try to do
0: i would say the thing to do is if you have a particular broadhead that you're like you got that gut feeling about go check out john's channel look up his data and see if that broadhead that you think is great actually scores well and if it does then you'll have extra confidence in it if it doesn't there you go you might consider something
1: else if you go on youtube and type in my last name lusk l-u-s-k then the name of any broadhead you're curious if i've tested it it'll come up and there's you know a couple hundred different heads i've tested so there's a good chance it'll come up but that's that's a good way to know sometimes people write to me have you tested this one have you tested this one if you just search lusk you know satellite or lusk you know whatever toxic you know then it'll come up if i've tested it Well,
0: and on top of that you you have people send in broadheads to you that and then you'll test them and you turn them around relatively quickly it seems like so if anybody can't find a broadhead they're interested in um, and they want to donate a pack to you you'll test them uh for them right
1: yeah that's right yeah i about half of the heads i i buy a big chunk of them the manufacturers give me a big chunk of them and about half are from viewers, give me a new pack, I just need three broadheads and I'll test it. I have now, I've completed tests. It, like any one test, it averages about seven hours of of everything to get it from Opening the package to the video is posted on social media. So it's about seven hours average, but I have, them, I have them scheduled through the middle of June. Like I've got one the week through June. Then if I get like a backlog, then I start going two a week. As the season approaches, I like going two a week if I can. So hopefully this, and I've got some good ones lined up. I mean, there's some that nobody's ever even seen yet because they're brand new. And I love getting those crazy weird designs and i've got some good ones coming
0: yeah no i i always like seeing you post uh in our our facebook group so um every one of them that like looks funky i'm like ooh, i gotta check this out so <laughs> that's how I, yeah. I, I like that too so um well anyway our uh, our timer is is counting down once again but i think we're kind of reaching a, a good stopping point here um did you have do you have any uh l- message you want to leave the listeners with any last words well
1: i I, I appreciate everybody's passion in archery. And if you're listening to this or you're one of the Patreon supporters, man, I, I really appreciate your passion for archery. And I just wanna encourage you, put the research in and my channel can help you to do that. So you can make informed decisions. We owe it to our, to the animals we're hunting and just your own blood, sweat and tears and money that you're putting into your hunt, that chance of a lifetime, that shot of a lifetime. The rubber meets the road with the broadhead. And so man, it's worth spending a little time doing some research to make informed choices about your broadheads and my channel. Also in the description of every video, I got a bunch of discount codes for broadheads that I really like that can save you money as well. And so I just hope it can be a good resource to you. So check it out. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or on YouTube.
0: All right. I think we're about to get kicked off here. Thanks, John. I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, Looking forward to your future videos, man. Thanks, Mark. All right. Talk to you later. Wow. It literally kicked us off as soon as I said talk to you later. That couldn't have been more perfect.